Hey, good morning, everybody. Did you have a Merry Christmas? Good, good. Happy New Year to you, and uh, thanks for coming out this weekend and making River Glen uh, uh, part of it. Just uh, delighted to have you. And uh, hey, great weekend to be here. We're starting this new series called uh, Do Work. This is about our occupations, our careers, our jobs, and how that plays out with God and us and what God has in mind for that. And uh, here's how I want to get started. I want to ask you, I want to involve you a little bit here and ask you to turn to somebody nearby and tell them your first job, okay, your first job with a paycheck and a boss and all that. Just briefly, go ahead and turn to somebody nearby. Tell them uh, your first job. All right, now, I don't know your first job, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you mine. My first job, I worked at a, uh, a Big Boy's restaurant. Anybody remember Bark's Big Boy restaurants? Anybody ever eat at one of those? Yeah, yeah. I worked there, started out as a busboy, then I was a cook. Made a lot of those Big Boy sandwiches. Those were good. Uh, hot fudge cake. Yeah, could go for some of that. That was pretty good. I remember I started out and made uh, $2.90 an hour, and I felt filthy rich. Yeah, I didn't know what to do, you know, with all of that uh, money. Here's why I bring this up, our first job. It's fun to think about, but I think it also illustrates that, you know, work is something that you know, we all understand, right? I mean, you may or may not be part of a gym. You may or may not be part of a church. But all of us understand work, and we share work in common. Some of you here, you know, you're students, and your whole career is out there uh, ahead of you. And in the next few years, you're going to make some huge decisions that could shape the rest of your life. And I hope today, I hope this series is helpful uh, for you. You know, some of you, maybe you're looking for a job. You know, some of you, maybe you have a job right now and you feel comfortable with it. But you know what? According to the research, you're probably going to make some adjustments in the future. Some of you, you know, have a job uh, right now and you're hoping to retire soon, even though you're 25 years old. Uh, (laughs) Some of you, you know, retired, you know, from a a job and uh, you're wondering, okay, what now? You know, what next? Is there more ahead for me? All of us understand work. Now, here's why we're doing this series and why I think this is so important is because of these startling statistics. I want to show you some numbers. Here's the first one. 60%. That's the amount of time awake you spend at, at, at work. I mean, 60% of your time is consumed with your job. And honestly, it's probably higher, you know, for some of us because we're just thinking about work all the time. And with our mobile device, you can work all the time and it can just consume you. And here's why that number is a problem is because of this next one, 80%, according to research, 80% of people hate their job and just feel frustrated uh, about some aspect, some element of their uh, job. And because we feel so frustrated and angry with work, that makes this next number true, 9.3. And that's the number of times the average person changes jobs, which could just create even more stress in our lives. And so think about this, okay? 60% of our time we spend at work, 80% of us dislike it, feel frustrated, and we change it Nine times, and so clearly work is a major source of stress and anguish in our lives. And so let me ask you, which one of these emotions, which one of the following emotions do you most commonly feel about your job? Here's the first one, fear. You know, we're afraid we're not going to find a job. And then we're afraid we're going to lose our job. They're going to cut 
Maybe cut our job, or somebody's going to determine, you know what, we're not, that we're not qualified or deserving of our job. They're going to say, you know, why did we hire that person in the first place? And so you try your best, but you live in fear. And then here's another feeling some of us have, and that is frustration. We have fear of losing our job, and then we are frustrated to keep it because we don't like it, it, it bothers us, and we begin to fantasize about other jobs. You know, sometimes people come to me and uh, they say things like, you know, I wish I had had an easier job like your job. Yeah, and I try not to take it uh, personally. I've had people say, you know, it must be nice, you know, working one day a week on Sunday, but, you know, we've got services on Saturday, so I'm on the clock two days a week now. And, uh, but, you know, we begin to look around at other jobs, other people's jobs, and we say, oh, that'd be easier. Wish I had that job because there's something uh, about our current job that has us feeling very frustrated. Here's another emotion a lot of us feel. We feel trapped. Yeah, we feel stuck, you know, in our job. You know, we, we, you know, we, 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 we want to get rid of it, but you got to have it. And so, you know, we hear about this in songs a lot. That's why we did that uh, song earlier, just for fun. You know, I don't want to work. You know, I just want to bang on a drum all day. Or everybody's working for the weekend, right? I mean, nobody's working for Monday. You know, nobody's saying, oh, I can't wait, you know, to get back to work. Or the old hit song, Just Another Manic Monday, or, you know, Rainy Days and Mondays always get me down. And I know I'm probably dating myself, even bringing up those, you know, old songs, but I think many of us can, you know, relate to those because we have this pit in our stomach that we feel on Sunday night because we know that work is coming around the next day. And for many of us, work is just like this penalty box we're stuck in until hopefully one day we can retire. And so with all this emotion, all this frustration related to work. Do you ever ask, do you ever find yourself wondering, what does God think about it? What does God have to say about it? Or is God just more concerned, you know, with, with this hour we spend together on the weekend and, uh, you know, he didn't really care about the rest of it. I think many people view God that way, that God's, you know, concerned about, you know, the one hour uh, worship service on the weekend, but, uh, you know, you're on your own the rest of the week. But the Bible actually has a lot to say about this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you know, most of the heroes in the Bible, you know, they didn't work for a ministry or a church or, you know, they weren't employed by a temple. They had what we would refer to as secular jobs. For example, Jacob was a rancher. Moses, it says, worked as a sheep herder for 40 years. Esther, you know, was a beauty queen who later became a government official. Joseph was a government leader in charge of the economy and agriculture. Lydia worked as a su successful businesswoman. Uh, the Apostle Paul worked as a tent maker. Jesus worked as a carpenter. And so the Bible was written by workers for workers. And work is a huge part of God's plan uh, for your life. God wants to help you love Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and every day of your week. And that's really my goal uh, today and for this series, for you to get up every Monday and say, thank God it's Monday morning. And I know that might seem impossible because of how you feel about your work right now. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you three takeaways uh, today. And if you're taking notes, I hope you'll write these down because I think these are, these are really important for us. Here's the first one. Labor is a gift from God. And some of you are going, no way. You know, work is punishment. It's not a gift. But I want you to think about something. The first teaching in the Bible tells us that God is a worker. 
Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you read through the rest of Genesis chapter 1, you're struck by the fact how God takes joy and delight in, in work. At the end of each day of creation, God says, it's good. Today was awesome because I accomplished some very good work. I want you to imagine how Genesis would read Genesis chapter 1 if God viewed work as punishment to endure rather than a gift to enjoy. Somebody rewrote the creation story. Imagine if Genesis sounded this way. In the beginning, it was 8 o'clock, and so God had to go to work. And he filled out a requisition to separate light from the darkness. He considered making stars to beautify the night, but thought it'd be too much work. And besides, God thought, that's not my job. And so he decided to knock off early and call it a day. And he looked at what he'd done, and he said, it'll have to do. And on the second day, God separated the waters from the dry land, and he made all the dry land flat and plain and functional so that, behold, the whole earth looked like Illinois. <laughs> and he thought about making mountains and valleys and glaciers and jungles and forests and waterfalls, but he decided that wouldn't be worth the effort. And he looked at what he'd done that day, and he said, it'll have to do. And God made a pigeon to fly in the air and a carp to swim in the waters and a cat to creep on the dry ground. And God thought about making millions of other species of all sizes and shapes and colors, but he couldn't drum up enough enthusiasm for other animals. In fact, he wasn't too crazy about the cat. <laughs> Besides, it was time for NCIS. And so God looked at all that his hand had done, and he said, it'll have to do. And at the end of the week, God was so burned out, he breathed a big sigh of relief, and he just said, thank me, it's Friday. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, aren't you glad God isn't that way? Aren't you thankful? The Bible doesn't read like that. And listen, you are created in God's image. You know, after God created Adam and Eve, he puts them in a garden, right? And he can give them any instruction he wants. He could tell them, you know, spend all your time relaxing, spend you know, all your time enjoying pleasure. But look at what God tells them in Genesis 2. The Lord took the man and uh, put him in the garden of Eden, look at this, to work, work it, and uh, take care of it. God says to Adam and Eve, I'm giving you this gift of labor. You know, I want you to work in the garden. I want you to till it. I want you to fertilize it. I want you to grow it because work brings you this sense of accomplishment and dignity and purpose and, and joy. Now, I know some people think, you know, work is God's punishment for sin, but that's untrue because God gave this instruction to Adam and Eve before they disobeyed and sinned because work is part of a perfect world. Labor is a gift. When God gave the Ten Commandments, look at what he, look at what he said in the fourth one. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Uh, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it uh, holy. Now many of you are familiar with that uh, teaching of, uh, of the fourth of the Ten Commandments that uh, tells us about the Sabbath day, but it's not just about one day, is it? It's about seven days. And uh, you've probably heard sermons, you know, from pastors like me, you know, designed to make you feel guilty about not taking a Sabbath day, not taking a day off. And I've probably given a few of those messages. I've needed a, a few of those. But when was the last time you heard a message in church about six days you shall labor, six days you shall work? because that's part of it. God's given us the gift of labor every day, and we need to get clear on this, that work is not a punishment to endure. 
It's a gift to enjoy. Look at what the wisest man who ever lived said. Solomon wrote this in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. A man can do nothing better than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in his work. Solomon says, this too I see is from the hand of God. And uh, amazingly, research backs this up. Research has found the best moments in our lives don't come from leisure or pleasure. The best moments come when you are engaged in a challenging task and you use your gifts, your talents, and your energy, and you say to yourself, I was made for this. Whether it's playing a guitar or swinging a hammer or taking a pulse or teaching a classroom or serving a customer or flying a plane or counseling a broken person, work makes you feel strong and alive and fulfilled because that's what God made us to do. Work is a gift. That's the first takeaway. All right, here's the second takeaway. God gave each one of us gifts to labor. Labor's a gift, and God also gave us, gave us gifts and talents and abilities in order to labor. And I think deep down, we all want this sense that we're doing you know, what God created us and gifted us to do. We don't just want a career. We want a sense of calling and purpose. Take a look at what the Apostle Paul said about this in Ephesians chapter 2. For we are God's handiwork, uh, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to do work which God prepared in advance for us to do. Notice this word handiwork. It means God handcrafted you, custom designed you with gifts and talents and abilities that match the work that he wants you uh, to do. So how do you discover what God created you to do? How do you discover what God called you uh, to do? I want you to pay attention to two key indicators in your life. And the first one is simply your gifts. Pay attention to your gifts and your abilities. The Apostle Paul said each man and woman should live his life with the gifts that God has given him and her. God says live your life with the gift he gave you, and yet only 20% of employees in large corporations feel that they use their gifts every day. That's why many people feel frustrated in their job because it doesn't match the gifts and abilities and talents they, that, that God uh, gave, gave to them. Uh, when our kids were born, some of you parents will relate to this. We have three kids, and it amazed me, I mean, from the moment of their birth, how different uh, they were, you know, same parents, developed in the same womb, grew up in the same home, but completely different appearance, different personalities, different temperament, different gifts, because God handcrafted each one of them for specific good works. I bet if you look back at your childhood, you can see the gifts and abilities that God gave to you. Some of you here, you know, you were just born uh, for sales. You know, you were the, you were the championship uh, Girl Scout cookies uh, sales girl, you know, or you sold more coupon books for the school you grew up attending. So many of them, you sold so many, you like wiped out a forest, you know, without any help. Or, you know, others of you were very creative, and from the time you were a child, you know, you would, you'd go off by yourself and write stories and, and do artwork and, and create plays and, and videos and, and dances. Others of you were very organized. Even as a child, you know, you were very neat and, you know, you'd put away your toys. When you were in school, you kept your locker very neat. If we were to come to your home, your clothes are folded and pressed. Your closet is organized by color and season. You're basically a weird person, but <laughs> you're gifted. 
It's your gift. Some of you are natural born leaders. You know, as a kid, you were the child in the neighborhood and said, all right, we're going to do this. And you're going to be on this team, and, and I'm going to be on this team. Some of you were, were, were mechanically gifted as a child. You love to take things apart. Here's the key. You were able to put them all back together. Some of you are natural-born entrepreneurs. As a child, maybe seven years old, you started a lemonade stand. You negotiated with your mom for a higher share of the profits. You started your own little business. All of us need to evaluate our gifts, our talents, our natural abilities that God gave to us. And then here's another indicator to pay attention to, very important, and that is your passion. Because you know what? You can use your gift and miss your calling because you're not using your gift in the area of your passion. Passion is this area. It's this arena where God wants you to use your gift. For example, maybe you you are gifted to teach. And let's say you teach high school math, but your passion would be to teach first graders. Your passion would be to teach special needs children, and that would move teaching into an adventure in your life. Or maybe you're gifted mechanically, and right now you're working on cars, but your passion is aeronautics. Your passion would be to keep airplanes flying in the uh, air. Or maybe you're gifted to lead, and right now you're leading a team of, of computer sales representatives, but your passion would be to lead a team of people working for a nonprofit. Your passion would be to lead a team of people providing free legal services for those who can't afford it. Let me share an observation with you. I've noticed over the years that many people use their gifts in one area of their life to make a living, okay? But they use their gift to express their passion in another area of life. For, for example, maybe they make their you know, living, you know, uh, working in, a, in, a, in an office building for a business, but their passion is to serve uh, a nonprofit organization. Their passion is to serve a ministry team at their church. Last month, we uh, had a groundbreaking for a new home that uh, we're helping build in the city of Waukesha in partnership with Habitat for Humanity. We had the uh, a groundbreaking ceremony and a work day. I showed up to say the prayer, and it surprised me. I mean, how many River Glen people showed up early on a Saturday, cold Saturday morning, smiles on their faces, work gloves on their hands because they wanted to use their abilities in an area of passion to help a low-income family. Shouldn't have surprised me. I thought about it. Hundreds of people every weekend show up here and serve and volunteer and use their abilities in an area of passion to help more people find and follow Jesus. You see, you can... You can, you know, get your paycheck apart from your passion, but you can't fulfill your calling apart from your passion. So what is your passion? We need to evaluate our gifts and our passion because the people who live with the greatest sense of calling in their life have their their gifts and their passion lined up. And I want to suggest to you that if you don't, you know, have a, have a role, find some kind of role through your career or, you know, through volunteering or serving that's consistent with who God made you to be, your gifts and your, your passion, you're going to miss out on God's calling in your life. And some of you are thinking, you know, great, Ben, now I, now I really hate my job because I'm not in my sweet spot or I'm not in a position that is, is like you described. And so what do I do today? You know, I'm listening to your message. 
What do I do so I don't go home and just feel more miserable? Well, I want to share with you another verse, okay? And one final takeaway. The verse comes from Colossians 3, verse 23, where Paul writes, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And that means in honor of the God who gave you life. In honor of the God who gave you gifts and abilities. In honor of the God who loves you so much that he gave his one and only son. In honor of that God, whatever work you do, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord rather than human masters. And here's the third takeaway. Labor is a gift to God. And I really want you to think about this. First takeaway, labor is a gift from God. Second, God gives us gifts in order to labor. And then third, our work, we can offer it as, a, as our gift to God. Howard Hendricks uh, shares an example of this. He uh, flew on uh, American Airlines uh, one time, and the guy in the row in front of him was just rude and insensitive and out of control and treated the flight attendant like a jerk. And then he got wasted, and it got even Worse. He said he watched for about 20 minutes, but he said he couldn't get over how polite and classy and poised and graceful the flight attendant treated this difficult customer. He said after 20 minutes, the flight attendant went to the back of the plane, and so he got up and followed her back to the galley, and he said to her, you know, I'm a frequent flyer on American Airlines, and I want to compliment you. He said the way you handled, you know, that passenger was remarkable. He said, I want to get your name so that I can write a letter of appreciation, a letter of recognition to, to the airline about you. And she said, sir, I don't work for American Airlines. And he was puzzled. And he said, you don't? She said, I work for Jesus Christ, and he gives me the strength to be kind to jerks like that. <laughs> and she went on about what her faith means to her. And you see, she has a different perspective on her job as a flight attendant because, because of who she works for, who she really works for. Who do you work for? Who are you working for? Do you work as if Jesus is your supervisor? Think about this past week, this past month. If Jesus were your supervisor, would you have done anything differently? Would you have answered the phone differently? Would you have handled the conversation differently? Would you have filled out an expense report with a higher level of character? If Jesus were your supervisor, you say, Ben, you know, that's, that's good. You know, that's, that's true and, and helpful. Uh, but even with all of that, it just seems impossible for me, you know, to look at the job I have right now and see it as a gift from God. I mean, it just, it just seems impossible for me to love Mondays right now, Okay. And you've got a couple options. You've got two options, all right? One option is that you can change jobs, okay? If you're really having a hard time uh, putting your heart into your work and being enthusiastic about your job, maybe it's time to begin moving toward a change, not in a knee-jerk, irresponsible way where, you know, you go into work tomorrow and resign. I'm not talking about that, okay? I want to be clear. But let me ask you, what would a vocational miracle look like in your life? You know, if you could wave a wand, okay, and do whatever you want, what would that be for you? And, you know, maybe in faith, some of you need to take God's hand and take a step toward fulfilling that dream. Maybe it's time to polish up your resume. 
You know, maybe it's time to, you know, take an a, a online class or a night class and learn some, some new skills. Maybe it's time to do some networking, go to sites like LinkedIn. Maybe it's time to talk to a recruiter about what positions might be available. James 4, uh, verse 2 says, you don't have because you don't ask God for it. Are you praying about this? Maybe if you move in faith toward a different job, it would actually move you a step closer to the good works that God planned in advance for you to do. Now, if you can't change jobs right now, you've got one other choice, and that is change your attitude. You know, realistically, every job has its unpleasant moments. Every job has its routines. Every job has parts of it that you don't like, but they have to be done. And so if you're fantasizing about some career, some other job, you know, where it's 100% euphoric all the time, you're daydreaming, okay? You're dreaming. I'll tell you, I don't think anybody in this room uh, loves their job more than I do. I mean, I love my job. I, I thank God uh, for my job. I love my job 85% of the time. Yeah, but there are moments uh, in my job I don't always enjoy. I don't always enjoy, you know, spending hours, you know, working on these sermons, you know, writing and rewriting and getting ready for the weekend. That's not always fun uh, for me. Sometimes people in the church are naughty. And, you know, part of my job sometimes I try to straighten them out. And that's not always, that's not always fun. And, and um, you know, I could decide to change jobs in moments like that. But then I wouldn't do what I feel like God's called me to do. And so i got to watch my attitude. I've got to stay positive. I've got to remember, you know, there are a lot of people who don't have any job. And they would be thankful for anything. And when I'm having a tough tough day. I love to think back to this verse from Colossians. Let's look at it again. Paul says, uh, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And to me, for me, okay, the most important word in this verse is right there. It's the word uh, whatever. This is huge. In fact, I did a lot of research on this in the original language. This is all written in Greek. And so I went back to the Greek and I studied whatever to, to discover the, the real meaning of it. And uh, do you know what the word whatever it means in the Greek language? Yeah, it means whatever. Yeah, it does. That's deep, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it is actually, okay? Hang with me because in the original context here, Paul is writing this to slaves, Christian slaves. And uh, you talk about a lousy job. Uh, You talk about a dirty job, okay? And notice he doesn't say, you know, run away. He doesn't say quit your slave work. No, no, no. He says, put your heart into it. You know, work with all your heart as a, as a slave. And, and here's what this means for us. You don't have to go and get another job, okay, to honor God. And uh, you don't have to get a God job either. Uh, you know, you don't have to become a pastor or a missionary uh, to honor God. Paul makes no distinction here between secular and sacred Work. He says, whatever you do, whether you work in a cubicle or a classroom or a, a restaurant, whether you work as a police officer, a firefighter, a realtor, a, a, a teacher, whether you, you know, stay at home, work as a stay-at-home parent, or you mow grass, or you do gardening, or you uh, do volunteer work, whatever you do, Paul says, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for God. I came across this quote last week. It was written hundreds of years ago, but listen to what it says. I thought it was so uh, appropriate. Two quotes. The maid who sweeps her kitchen 
is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays, not because she sings a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. Isn't that good? The Christian shoemaker does his duty, not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. You see, when you do your job well, it honors God. And when you begin to see your job through that uh, perspective, and you put your heart into it, okay, it gives new meaning and purpose and fulfillment to your job. And other people are going are gonna to see God working in your life, and it's going to inspire them to follow him. And so, you know, maybe your current job isn't a great fit for you, and, you know, maybe someday you're going to need to find a, another job, but in the meantime, you can change your attitude. You can honor God in your current job, whatever it is, by working enthusiastically. I hope you're beginning to see how important our work is to God. Work is a huge part of God's plan for our our lives. And I hope that you'll make up your mind, you know, to be here each weekend and not miss a weekend of this series. This may be the most important series for for some of us because, because God gave us work as a gift. And he gave us gifts in order to work. And our work can be our gift that we offer to him. Several years ago, I saw this movie. Maybe some of you saw it. It's called Chariots of Fire. It's based on a true story about a, uh, a young man from Scotland named Eric Liddell, whose parents were missionaries in China. He was Scottish, and he also felt called to do mission work in China, but he was a runner, and he was very fast. And in the 1930s, he made the Scottish Olympic team, but his sister felt exasperated with him for doing this Olympic thing instead of just going directly over to China. And Eric Liddell said to his sister, he said, Jenny, God made me for a purpose in China, but God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And you know what? God gave you gifts and abilities. And when you use them, you feel his pleasure. Whether your gift is to be a mom to your kids or a teacher with a, with a sharp mind or a surgeon with skillful hands or a carpenter you know, with power tools in each hand or a pastor with a Bible in your hand or a writer with a pen or a, 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 an owner with a business or a musician with an instrument. God gave you that ability and when you use it, you can feel his pleasure. God didn't want you to just feel his pleasure for an hour at church on the weekend. He wants you to feel his smile and his pleasure on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And you know what? If you have that, you know, if you have a job or a role that's in your sweet spot and you know it's your calling, would you thank God for that today? Because so few people have that. And if you don't have that, will you go on an adventure of faith with God? Will you put your life in his hands? I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to share communion together. Let me pray for us. God, I know that this topic is a big part of our lives and a source of stress for many of us. And I thank you for your word that gives us encouragement and and wisdom and hope and help in this area. God, thank you for this clear teaching that work is a gift uh, from your hand and that you've given each of us gifts in order to work, 
And help us to see that whatever work we do, we can offer it back as our gift, our worship to you. And God, thank you most of all for sending Jesus, who's the greatest example of putting your heart into your work. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. You know, as Jesus uh, died on the cross, one of the last things he said is, uh, it is finished. And here's what he meant. He meant, my work is done. Uh, My mission is fulfilled. Sin is paid for. Jesus carried out the most difficult work assignment ever given. He left the privileges of of heaven, and he, he came to this earth, and he put everything. He put his heart. He put everything into the assignment that God gave him. And right now we're going to remember the sacrifice that uh, Jesus made for us by sharing communion. And if this is new to you and and you want to take a pass on it, that's fine. But I want you to know we have an open uh, communion here uh, to anyone who accepts Jesus. Let's use this time to remember the work that he accomplished on the cross on our behalf. And let's also use this time to commit ourselves uh, to doing whatever work he gives us to do.